So how important is forgiveness to you personally? Are you happy that forgiveness is something? Uh, I think we all are, right? We, we probably wouldn't um, make it too far into a marriage relationship without that thing called forgiveness. I know that we uh, greatly treasure it in our relationship with Christ. In fact, there is no relationship with Christ without forgiveness, right? Isn't that the centerpiece of the gospel? It is. It is. Without forgiveness, we're lost in our sins. We have no hope of heaven, no hope of relationship with God. Forgiveness is pivotal, critical. Um, there's no gospel without it. It's also central to healthy human relationships, isn't it? Like I said, marriage is an example. In fact, if you want healthy human relationships, you can really go to any gospel reality and apply it to uh, your relationships, and those relationships will improve. The book of Philemon is a letter from the Apostle Paul to a wealthy man named Philemon. And this man lived in a town uh, called Colossae, and he attended church at the Colossian church. He was actually saved by Paul in the Ephesian church, in Paul's Ephesian ministry. Um, Philemon was a wealthy man, as I said. We know this because he was a slave owner, because he had a large house where the church in Colossae met. Um, but I don't have time to discuss the, the, the rights and wrongs of, of slavery, particularly New Testament slavery and uh, slave ownership. Uh, but there is things to discuss there. But like I said, I don't have time to deal with them today if, if I'm going to discuss the point of the book. His slave, however, was named Onesimus, and Onesimus stole from him, that is Philemon, and ran away from uh, Philemon with what he stole to Rome. That's where he ended up. And as the providence of God would have it, uh, he would run right into the Apostle Paul, who shared the gospel with him and converted him to Christianity. He became a follower of Christ because of his encounter with the Apostle Paul. And this, this particular reality of the book of Philemon is an important one. And I want you to remember this about the sovereignty of God and Philemon's uh, place in Rome as it turned out that he was saved there. But Paul's intent in this letter is to request of Philemon to forgive and restore this runaway slave Onesimus. Last week, we covered the identity or the identifying marks of a forgiver, which Philemon possessed. This week, we're going to complete our study by revealing the conduct and motives of a forgiver. So last week, I asked you to consider whether or not you were a forgiving type person by evaluating, examining your life to see whether or not you possessed the marks of a forgiver, a love for God and a love for people. And this week, I'm asking you to continue that examination by listening to see whether or not you can identify conduct and motivations that are possessed by a forgiving type person. So this is something that's important to the Christians because Christians are supposed to be forgiving people because we've been forgiven. We know what it's like to be forgiven, so we ought to be quick to be forgiving people, which is what Jesus taught. 
And so as, as I explain this to you this morning, I want you to notice the many important gospel principles um, that are critical to restoring damaged relationships. The gospel is not something that just gets you to heaven. The gospel is something that transforms your life from beginning to end. And so you ought to be able to see as we think through and, and learn from the Holy Spirit from the book of Philemon something about the gospel as it relates to forgiveness. So if you have someone who is seeking forgiveness from you, or if you are seeking forgiveness from someone else, or you might be the person who's helping two other estranged people to navigate this challenging path of forgiveness, this short letter from Paul to Philemon, this sermon today potentially, might be just the thing that you need. And so let's look first of all at the identifying conduct of a forgiver. If you're a forgiving person, what kind of conduct will be about your life? I want you to notice how Paul launches into the difficult subject matter of forgiveness with Philemon in verse 8. Look at verse 8 with me, if you would. He starts by saying, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. So he begins by saying, Accordingly. Now, before I explain that word, which is an important word in understanding the rest of the letter, I want to share with you eight building blocks of, biblical, of the biblical doctrine of forgiveness. Eight building blocks of the biblical doctrine of forgiveness, which if you've been in church for a short time, you've probably heard many of these eight doctrines. And I have taken these and adapted them from MacArthur's uh, commentary on Philemon, but they are eight building blocks of the biblical doctrine of forgiveness. So listen and see if you already knew this, all right? First of all, the first building block is people who need forgiveness are created by God in his image, which gives them intrinsic value, all right? If you know someone who needs to be forgiven by you or someone else, they ought to be forgiven because they were created in the image of God. They have value. Secondly, if you have sinned against your neighbor, you have sinned against God. This is clearly communicated and taught through the story of David and Bathsheba. You remember that story in the Old Testament? When David sinned with Bathsheba, someone else's wife, and uh, he not only sinned against Bathsheba, he sinned against Bathsheba's husband who he had murdered, uh, he also sinned against the people of Israel that he was leading. He sinned against his own family. He sinned against a lot of people. And yet when we turn to Psalm chapter 51, verse 4, David says, against speaking to God, against you and you only have I sinned. That's stunning. And, but it's inspired. <laughs> so you have to wrestle with it. What is he saying? What, what's he, what he is saying is the second building block of forgiveness. No matter what we have done to one another, first and foremost, we have sinned and offended God. He is the one who is infinitely more offended than anybody on this planet with our sins. Failing to forgive, number three, interrupts our fellowship with God, as you can imagine. If our sins are so offensive to him, that would interfere with our relationship to him, right? Yes, and so the third building block of forgiveness is that failing to forgive interrupts our fellowship with God, our creator. 
fourth building block of the doctrine of forgiveness. Failing to forgive will interrupt our fellowship with each other. Obviously, if you won't forgive me or I won't forgive you, there's, there's an interruption there in our fellowship. But it doesn't stop with just you and me. If you and I aren't forgiving one another, it affects everybody around us, doesn't it? You've been in those circumstances. When you're between two people who are fighting and won't forgive one another, it affects more than just the two people, doesn't it? It does indeed. Fifth, failing to forgive and seeking revenge usurps God's authority and God's role. In Romans chapter 12, we are told by the Apostle Paul that, it's, that God says that revenge and correcting a matter is God's area, not ours, right? So if we take it upon ourselves to pursue revenge, we are usurping God's role and God's authority in making things right. It's not up to us to make things right. It's up to God. Sixth, failing to forgive interrupts our worship. That's an obvious second point or sub-point to the interruption of our fellowship with God, right? It affects our worship, but it goes a little further than that, and here's why. If you are here this morning with unresolved relationship issues, with people that you have not forgiven or they have not forgiven you, you are not here worshiping God. I don't know what you're doing here, but it's not worship. Because worship is interrupted when you are not in line or in tune with your fellow man. This is the sixth building block of the doctrine of forgiveness. The seventh is working through forgiveness produces Christ-likeness. If you have noticed a lack of progress in your Christian walk, a, a lack of sanctification towards the ideal of Christ-likeness, is it possible that the, what is responsible for that is a lack of forgiveness? Have you grieved the Holy Spirit to the point of not forgiving others, and because of that grieving, he has withdrawn himself from the work of sanctifying you? He's the one responsible for your sanctification, right? It's not you, it's him. If you grieved him, does it make sense to you that he might not be continuing that active work of sanctification? Yeah, it's biblical, in fact. It's not just reasonable. It's biblical. Ephesians 4 teaches that. Eighth and finally, forgiveness doesn't require the offender to ask for it. And one of the reasons this is the eighth building block of the biblical doctrine of forgiveness is because if it were the second, you wouldn't have listened to the next six. Right? It's the eighth because this doesn't sound right to us, does it? They're not even asking for forgiveness. They think what they did was fine. I'm not going to forgive them. Well, the eighth building block of the biblical doctrine of forgiveness is they don't have to ask for it to be forgiven. We're going to, you're going to see these pop up throughout the sermon here on this amazing letter as we work our way through it. The question that I, the reason I share with you, though, is why didn't Paul uh, give this list to Philemon? Wouldn't that have been helpful? Well, he didn't give it to Philemon because Philemon already knew these principles. 
He was saved under Paul's ministry in Ephesus, and Paul's ministry was based on the ministry of Christ, if you remember. And Christ taught the Sermon on the Mount, which a centerpiece of that sermon was forgiveness. Philemon knew these eight principles or eight building blocks of forgiveness. He didn't have to repeat them. Paul didn't need to repeat them to Paul. So back to the word accordingly in verse 8. He uses this great transitionary word accordingly. Why? Well, according to what? Well, according to how famous Philemon was for being a loving man. Philemon was well known for forgiving people, for supporting Christians, for being there for them in times of need. Uh, He was, it says in verses four through seven, if you'll glance back there quickly, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. I've heard how loving you are to God and the saints. I've heard how you refresh people um, in your church. He was a wonderful individual, evidently. Because you are so faithful to so many others, I want to ask you the following, accordingly. It's kind of like the, the teenager who butters up mom and dad so that they can get the keys to the car for the weekend. This is what the Apostle Paul is doing here. He's not wanting keys to a car, he's wanting access to Philemon's heart. And so he's reminding Philemon of all the good things he's heard about him. And by the way, let me ask you one thing, Philemon. That's how, that's how this is going. Paul's, Paul's tone in this letter is amazing. This is a, a masterful piece of persuasion, as I said last week. What he's asking Philemon to do is a very difficult ask. But how he asks for the favor is worth mentioning here. Uh, In case there may be someone in this room who needs to ask for forgiveness or encourage someone else to forgive, the way Paul does this is very helpful. As I said, his tone was just as important as the content of what he said. Did you get a sense for Paul's humility as he spoke to Philemon here? Yeah. It's oozing out of every word of this letter. He is so humble, so gracious, so enduring, so difficult to resist. It's an appeal. Keep in mind, it's the Apostle Paul who's making the appeal. It's not a command, it's an appeal. It's on the basis of love, not on the basis of rank or authority of the person asking. As he said, he said, I could command this of you, but for love's sake, I'm appealing to you. Please, brother, refresh my heart. Paul didn't use his God-given authority to pressure Philemon to do what he wanted him to do. This, This teaches us something important about seeking and granting forgiveness. This teaches us that we cannot hold anything over those that we need to forgive. Like, you owe me one now, right? Or that we are now in a superior position to them because we've granted this amazing gift of forgiveness to the individual. No, our forgiveness of others must come from a heart of love for Christ, just like the Apostle Paul is stating here in Philemon, and he succinctly stated in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Let me read that for you. He said to them, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Now, if you have a pen and you're in Ephesians 4.32, you want to 
circle or underline this word, as. The actual word is just as. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. And how is that? <laughs> if you're going to model your forgiveness to your estranged brother or sister, just as God forgave you, how is that? If you're a Christian, you know how that is, don't you? You do. Paul's request here was a heartfelt, selfless request that recognized the providence of God in bringing these two people into his life. Paul made his appeal to Philemon on the basis of love, he says here. Yet for love's sake, verse 9, I prefer to appeal to you. He made his, his appeal to Philemon on the basis of love. He, he loved Philemon. Look at verse 7 and 20. He called him my brother. In verse 1, he called him my beloved. In verse 20, 17, he called him my partner. Paul loved Philemon. And on top of that, he loved Onesimus, the runaway slave, the one he had led to the Lord while he was in Rome. Look at verse 10. He calls Onesimus my child, an endearing term. In verse 12, he calls Onesimus my very heart. His love for Philemon, his love for Onesimus was obvious, but this was not the love that he was referring to when he said, for love's sake. Then what was he referring to? Paul was referring to the love of God that has been poured into both Philemon and Onesimus' heart, into his own heart, and to everyone's heart who knows Christ Jesus. You have the capacity to forgive anyone, no matter what the offense, because, according to Romans 5.5, 5, the love of God has been poured into your heart through Christ Jesus. For love's sake, consider my request, my dear brother Philemon. For love's sake. It's emphasizing the love of Christ without ignoring the brotherly love that ought to be there as a result of our love for Christ. You know why the basic reason that we can love each other? is because Christ loves us. That's right. This is for love's sake. Let me, let me expand this a little bit further for you so you can understand exactly why this is so important. Let me give you a little, a little lesson on what New Testament love looks like. Biblical love. 1 John 4.10. The apostle of love, John, said this. This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, to be the satisfaction for our sins. It wasn't that you reached out to God. God reached down to you and loved you and forgave your sins. Step one, it was initiated by God. That is, love is initiated by God. Step two, 1 John 4, 17, seven verses later. By this is love perfected within us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. You know what's going to give you confidence the day you're dying and going to be facing Christ 
the love of God. That's it. This divine act of love makes certain that judgment is not going to be a problem for everybody who put their trust in Christ. So we have this divine love of God reaching down to us, initiating, and this brings us a confidence as, we're, as we look forward to that day of judgment. And then verse 6 of 2 John says this, same author, the Apostle John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and this is love that we walk according to his commandments. Whose commandments? Jesus's commandments. This is the commandment. Just as you have heard from the beginning, so you, that you should walk in it. What commandment is he referring to that we ought to walk in? If we've received God's initiating love that, that assures us that judgment day is not gonna be an issue, what ought we to be thinking about? John, again, said this in John 13, verse 34. He actually recorded it when Jesus said it to the disciples in the upper room. He said this, a new commandment I give to you. This is Jesus speaking. This is the commandment John was referring to. A new commandment I give to you, because it wasn't one of the 10 commandments. This was a new commandment. This was commandments from Jesus, that you love one another, just as, there it is again, just as I have loved you. And how has he loved us, Christian? Has he forgiven your sins? Has he died for your sins? Has he made it possible for you to be reconciled to your creator? Just how has he loved you? (laughs) And now we're supposed to love each other just as that. Paul knew that Philemon was a brother in Christ who was motivated by love. Look again up at verses 4 through 7. I thank my God always. I remember you in my prayers. What was he remembering? Of the love and faith that he had for God. Of the love he had for the saints. Of the refreshment he was to the saints. See, Paul was convinced that Philemon was impacted by the gospel. And then it played out in his relationships with believers. We can clearly see this in verses 4 through 7. Philemon was well known to be a loving individual. So as Philemon read this letter for the first time, I want you to think about this with me. Put yourself in Philemon's shoes. All right? You're receiving a scroll. You begin to unroll this scroll, and you notice that it's from the Apostle Paul. That's significant enough. But guess who handed you this scroll? Your runaway slave, Onesimus. (laughs) So there's a lot going on in this moment right here in the mind and heart of Onesimus and his slave owner, Philemon. He was standing right in front of Philemon, Onesimus was, when he first read this letter. Philemon, I'm certain, may have struggled with some pretty strong emotions in that moment. Maybe like feelings of betrayal, anger, bitterness, a desire for justice. You stole from me. All that, if he were human, he would be struggling with. 
Which is why Paul added the, the last line of verse 9. He knew exactly how Philemon would be feeling and what he would be struggling with. Look at verse 9. He goes, I appeal to you, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus. The apostle Paul was saying, Philemon, I have got nothing to gain from this conversation except love for our brother Onesimus. This is, this is why he reminded Philemon of who wrote the letter, of how much he loved him, of all the things he had heard about Philemon. I, Paul, an old man, and he wasn't that old, he was 60-something, 60 62. An old man, it was old for them, but not for us, right? All the 60-year-olds go, amen. Can you, can you imagine the situation that was going on right then? <clears throat> Last week we saw that Paul identified the marks of um, a forgiving person in verses 4 through 7. Those were a love for God and a love for people. If you're going to be a forgiving person, you'll have these important qualities in your life. You'll love God and you'll love people. But also now looking at verses 10 through 14, Paul defines the conduct the conduct of a forgiving person. Do you count yourself or consider yourself a forgiver? Let's see. Let's look at the conduct. I want to read these verses for you, and we'll just uh, unpack them and see how this goes. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, Paul said, whose father I became in my imprisonment. He led Onesimus to Christ while he was in jail. Formerly, Verse 11, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but out of your own accord. So the first thing that I want you to see, there are three things that Paul expects of Philemon concerning Onesimus. The first thing is this, acceptance. He's asking Philemon to accept Onesimus, which of course is reflected in the gospel, isn't it? Isn't that the, the introduction to the gospel? That God accepts you as a sinner? That God died for you? If there's any Anything greater, any greater way to accept, accept someone than to die for them, I don't know what it is. He, the Lord Jesus Christ has accepted every person in this room who is a believer. That's the starting point of our faith, isn't it? Yes, it is. And here, this is what Paul is asking of Philemon. Philemon, please accept Onesimus. This is what a forgiver will be anxious to do. And by the way, the three things that I'm going to share with you that Paul expects of Philemon are next to impossible for someone who doesn't know Christ. And the first is this, acceptance. When someone is seeking your forgiveness as a believer, they're asking you to accept them once again and open yourself back up to the relationship that was damaged from their offense. 
That's what forgiveness is. It's asking that. They're asking for acceptance. Paul was asking Philemon to once again accept Onesimus as Christ had accepted Philemon. Just as Christ has forgiven you, Philemon. So why should Philemon, besides the fact that Christ had accepted him, which is reason enough, but what human reason should there be for Philemon to even consider Paul's request? This guy, Onesimus, had betrayed a trust. He had stolen from Philemon. He deserved no mercy. He deserved the opposite. He deserved punishment. And now Paul here is asking me to forgive him, to accept him. Well, here's what Paul wanted Philemon to consider. He wanted, to consider, he wanted him to consider that Onesimus was repentant. He was repentant. Onesimus was the one who delivered the letter in person to Philemon. Consider the repentance required for that act. If, it hadn't been, if he hadn't been repentant, he would have never done this. So he found himself back in Colossae, handing a parchment, a rolled scroll, a short letter to his slave owner, to his owner, um, from the Apostle Paul. If he had not been repentant, he would have never gone back to Colossae. Even if Paul had written this letter, he would have not gone back and delivered it and given it to the man who had every right to punish him, even to death. His, his crime was actually punishable by death in Roman law. And yet, here comes Onesimus down the driveway with this letter. He was repentant. You remember what John the Baptist said to the Pharisees, right? In Matthew chapter 3, verse 8, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, prove that your repentance by your actions bear fruit. Was this some fruit in Onesimus' life? Oh yeah, big time. Yes. Prove that you're repentant by your actions. Well, here they are. He's standing in front of you. He became a believer, in verse 10 we read, through the ministry of Paul, Onesimus did. He had turned from his sinful disobedience, his dishonesty, his rebellion. He had come back to Philemon with the intention to make all those past wrongs right. He was repentant. Next, he was changed, which is a sister to repentance, isn't it? Yeah. Evidently, prior to his conversion, look at verse 11, prior to his conversion, Onesimus was a lazy bum. Look at it. Formerly, he was useless. Onesimus' name actually means useful. So Paul is doing a play on words here with Onesimus' name. Formerly, Onesimus, the lazy one, was lazy, useless. But we, we find these great words all over Scripture, especially in the New Testament, that word but. Underline it, circle it, highlight it. But, <laughs> but God did something. Ephesians 2, right? But God in his great mercy, 
here. Formerly he was useless to, but now, what happened between then and now? Conversion happened between then and now. He was repentant, and it showed himself in change. He was a different man. This is important. He now is useful, not only to you, but to me, Paul said. And by the way, this, this thing that happens to us as Christians, called conversion, has an effect on you as a person. It, it makes you different from how you were before. If you were lazy before, you would not be lazy now. Things change. If they don't change, the conversion hasn't happened. And Onesimus's change had been witnessed by Paul. He became Paul's right-hand man while he was in prison in Rome. This once lazy, useless slave had been transformed by the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ into a useful and faithful minister of God by sacrificially serving the apostle Paul. And what I know of Paul, he was a hard worker and he demanded that of the people that helped him. Onesimus had changed and it, it was evidence of his conversion. He'd become so helpful, we read here, that Paul wished that he could keep him in Rome to help him there with the work of the gospel. But as we read, it wasn't Paul's choice, it was Philemon's. The second thing, besides acceptance that we read here, that Paul expected of Philemon towards Onesimus, was this, restoration. Restoration. As important as freely accepting the offending party back into a relationship, as important as that is in that process of forgiveness, restoration is just as critical. Restoration. This is what we see Paul asking Philemon to do for Onesimus. Restore him. Look at verses 15 and 16. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, and how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Restoring him, not just to a position of right with him as a as slave owner, but as a brother in Christ. <laughs> he gives Philemon the reason that he ought to restore Onesimus. And notice how Paul inserts the providence of God as a way to explain the relationship between Philemon and Onesimus. He goes, verse 15, for perhaps this is why. He's trying to explain the providence of God in Onesimus running away. Maybe this is why he ran away. So that he would become more than a slave to you, he would become a brother in Christ. God was taking a broken relationship between Onesimus and Philemon and deepening it by transforming both Onesimus and Philemon. Sun Valley Church, I want you to hear this. Especially if you're going through challenging things concerning forgiveness. Listen to what we're learning here. God was sanctifying the offender and the one offended. So it's not just about that knucklehead getting his act together so I can forgive him. It's about me, the one doing the forgiving. God is working on both of us 
through this process equally. This is another thing that we have to expect when we work through forgiveness. God will be changing both parties for his glory. God was helping Philemon to see that Onesimus was not only useful to him now that he had repented, but that he was now a Christian brother to be loved. The next thing that Paul wanted Philemon to demonstrate was restitution. Acceptance, restoration, and now restitution. It's one thing to ask for forgiveness, but it's quite another to repay the person wronged for the injury, isn't it? When you go to to seek forgiveness of somebody you've wronged, and they say, well, what are you going to do about it? That's a tough question, isn't it? In other words, what's restitution going to look like? You really hurt me. What are you going to do about it? That's what Paul's addressing here. Onesimus had stolen from his master, Philemon. He had run away and withheld the services that was owed to Philemon, his master. But Onesimus had no way to repay his master for either of those things, the money he stole or the time that was wasted. He couldn't make up for those things. So what was he going to do? What did Paul do? Well, look at the text. He asked for mercy. He didn't expect, Paul didn't expect, nor was he asking Onesimus to get off scot-free. He didn't say, oh, just forget about the debt. No, look what, he, look what Paul said he was going to do. Verse 18, if he has wronged you at all, Paul knew he had, or owes you anything, Paul knew he did, charge that to my account. I'm starting to sniff the gospel here. Verse 19, I, Paul, write this with my own hand, I will repay it. Now we often sniff the gospel, can't we? Yes, (laughs) this is exactly the point. Paul promised to pay the debt that Onesimus owed but couldn't pay. Does that sound like you and Jesus? Paul was asking that Philemon accept restitution offered by Paul. Philemon couldn't do it. If if this isn't a gospel principle exploding in your mind, how can I help you? This is seen everywhere in Scripture. It's called the doctrine of substitution. God doesn't look the other way when he's been offended by your sin and mine. What does he do? He doesn't sweep it under the rug. Say, I don't forget about it. I'm a big guy. No. What's he do? What did he do? He sent his son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, to earth to be a propitiation for our sins. To be the satisfaction, the payment of, the restitution of our sin. Listen, our sins were a real offense against God. And he forgives 
because restitution was made for our sins by Jesus, our Savior. That's why we call him Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Friends, I hope you're hearing this. I hope you're seeing it. The sins that Onesimus committed against Philemon were going to be repaid to Philemon by Paul. The sins that were committed by every person in this room were not ignored, forgotten. No, they were paid for by Jesus Christ. He paid for our sins, but they were paid for. What a principle of gospel restitution. This is the picture of restitution. This is the picture of substitution. Paul was willing to take up Onesimus' debt and pay it in order to restore relationship between Philemon and Onesimus. Now let's move into the identifying motivation of a forgiver. What ought we see we just saw the conduct of a forgiver. What ought to motivate that conduct? The motivation here is in play. First of all, I want you to see from verse 19 that your motivation is that you want to forgive an unpayable debt. That's why you forgive. Verse 19, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you owing me your own self. How's that for pressure? If you've struggled to forgive anyone in your life, it's probably because of the severe injury and pain that they caused you, right? It hurt, which is why we struggle to forgive. You might say the injury's too deep, Pastor John. They, they caused me too much pain. You don't understand. I can't forgive. Listen closely. That's exactly the motivation to forgive. It's because it can't be repaid. <laughs> it requires forgiveness. It's not, certainly being injured deeply is real, but it's not the reason to withhold forgiveness. The opposite is true. That is why you forgive, because they can't pay it back. Do we need to refer back to the talents, the lesson of the talents, where they couldn't pay it back and the, the king forgave because they couldn't pay it back? What a story. What a gesture of gospel goodness from Philemon to Onesimus. The reason I will forgive you, Onesimus, is because you can't pay it back. When you graciously forgive someone for a great wrong, for an unpayable debt, you are highlighting a central element of the gospel. When we come to Jesus for forgiveness, we don't come to negotiate, do we? No, we come for mercy. <laughs> we have nothing to negotiate with. We come for forgiveness. This is why Jesus is glorified in our repentance. This is why Jesus is glorified in our change. This is why he is glorified in the gospel. Because we have nothing to offer. Nothing to negotiate with. And neither did Onesimus. 
When you extend free forgiveness to someone who has wronged you, you become a beacon of the gospel. Look at the gospel is what happens when you forgive. You may even get a chance to share the gospel with the person you're forgiving, if they haven't already heard it, or maybe with others who know of your situation. Talk about an opportunity to share the gospel is forgiving someone who doesn't deserve it. They might ask you, your friend who knows you're going through this, how could you forgive that person after what they did to you? What would be your answer, gospel friend? What would it be? Because I've forgiven, I've been forgiven for so much more. Right? Or are you willing to barter <laughs> and say that their sin against you is not nearly as bad as your sin against God? Next, motivation, not only to forgive an unpayable debt, but to be a blessing instead of a burden. Look at verse 20. Yes, brother, here it is. Finally, it comes out. What's behind this letter? Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you and the Lord. Here's what I want. My heart refreshed. You want to be a blessing. A forgiver wants to be a blessing. That's the motivation, not a burden. I can't tell you how many times my mom used to tell me, John, be a blessing today. Instead of what, I would say to her. Instead of being yourself. <laughs> would come back on occasion. Look at verse 7 again, real quickly. Turn back to the beginning of the letter. He says, you have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Now, the same word in verse 20. Now refresh mine. He had been the source, Philemon had been the source of great blessing to all the people in his church in Colossae. And now Paul's asking a simple favor. Be that to me. Refresh my heart, Philemon. Let me be the recipient of some refreshment that you're so good at. Look at verse 20. I want to, I want to prove this to you, that this is what Paul's asking. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from the Lord. Refresh my heart. Those two words in the English language, uh, you can't determine the emphasis because of the limitations of English. But in the original language, you can tell immediately by just reading the sentence. They throw every word that they want emphasized to the front of the sentence. And that's what Paul did here in this sentence to Philemon. He's saying, yes, brother, I want some benefit. Circle I if you have a pen. I want some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my, capital M, capital Y, my heart, like you did theirs, back in verse 7. What you did for them, do for me. 
the point is that by forgiving Onesimus, Paul would be encouraged. It, it would, that encouragement would last a long time because Paul had witnessed someone he led to Christ forgive. He would receive the refreshment that so many others received from Philemon. Friends, friends, I want you to hear that this is important to us today. When someone forgives an offending party and you know of it, doesn't it do your heart good? So instead of holding on to your rights, your rights as an offending party, let it go and be a refreshment to those around you. Instead of living with bitterness, give your burden to Jesus and be a refreshment to us. By the way, he'll bear your burden way better than you will. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. And as you're doing that, all of us in this room are overwhelmingly blessed when you just say, I forgive you. The next motivation for a forgiver is that you want to be an obedient person instead of being right. You want to be obedient instead of being right. So many people are so wrapped up in being right, they forget to be obedient. Like Saul, does that ring a bell? You know, Paul here could have pulled rank, couldn't he have? Could have commanded Philemon to forgive Onesimus. But God is always more concerned with the heart than he is external action. Saul in the Old Testament, as I said, he said to Saul through Samuel the prophet, I desire mercy more than sacrifice. I desire your heart more than your actions. You can flap your lips all day. You can do things all day, but I, your heart is dark. Does God not know our hearts? God cares more about motives than action. If Paul would have commanded Philemon to forgive, like we do to our children, say you're sorry to your sister. As soon as you do, you can eat. And then starvation takes hold and they acquiesce. But their heart is dark as ever. If not darker. Because you've, detempt, you've just tempted them as a parent with hypocrisy. <laughs> it's way more serious than we think. Sure, Paul could have done that. He could have produced some kind of quasi-restoration between Philemon and Onesimus. It would have been short-lived. It would have been inauthentic. It would have produced two Pharisees and resulted in no true healing. And here's what we know, based on the letter. Genuine obedience always goes way beyond the command. They prefer obedience. The motive is they prefer obedience over being right. 
Genuine obedience always goes way beyond the command. Look at verse 21. This is exactly what it means. Confident in your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. He's, Philemon's going to go way beyond forgiveness. Instead of stopping there at the letter of the law, he knew that Philemon would move beyond that and add more blessing to Onesimus. As we ought to with those who have sinned against us. Beyond plugging Onesimus back into where he left off, Philemon was going to move way beyond that. He was going to bless him. Do we know what it was? No. But Onesimus did become, what? The bishop of the Ephesian church. So Onesimus received blessing upon blessing from the man that he wronged, who was an, which was an encouragement to everybody that knew the situation. And Colossae was a small town, so everybody knew the situation. Talk about gospel opportunities. He may have given Onesimus a promotion, more trust, more pay, more influence. We don't know. But Onesimus did become the bishop of the Ephesian church. This is what Paul was asking. This is what the Holy Spirit is asking you this morning. Finally, the last motivation that I want to show you this morning is from verse 22, and it is to look to future ministry instead of dwelling in the past. Look at verse 22. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, as I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. I'm not certain how these men were feeling, Onesimus and Philemon, as they processed the request of Paul, but I could imagine that Philemon felt ganged up on, that the Apostle Paul had heard Onesimus' side of the story and sided with him and wrote this letter to put Philemon in a corner so that he had no options. We know how to play that game as humans, don't we? Pitting mom against dad and, you know, boss against, you know, the second in charge. We know how to play those games. I don't know that that happened here. I don't think it did. But, friends, think about what is happening here from what the Apostle Paul is saying or asking in verse 22. He's asking for Philemon to prepare a room for him. I, I think it's natural to withhold trust from people who have offended you, right? Even after you've forgiven him. You might say, I forgive you, but I don't trust you anymore. You ever said that or heard that? I think we all have. There might be a place for that, but not within the gospel context. This is where it might get difficult for some of you. As Jesus freely and fully forgives, he also fully restores, listen, even to places above and beyond what seems prudent. You and I would not have put Onesimus as the bishop of Ephesus if you were in charge and Christ was. But there he was, 
We would have said things like in a meeting, well, remember Onesimus what he did? Is that prudent to vote for him as bishop? So not only does Paul ask Philemon to forgive Onesimus, but he asks Philemon to host Paul the next time he's in town. It's just like this. Let me share you. Uh, I've offended you, and uh, it's caused much pain in your life, and I come to you, I come to my senses, I, I, I repent, and I come to you and say, hey, uh, will you please grant me forgiveness and take me out to my favorite uh, restaurant this weekend? You're going, What? Now you've offended me twice. <laughs> this is what Paul's doing. He's saying, hey, please grant forgiveness from my friend Onesimus, and I'm going to be staying in your house next weekend. Excuse me? Paul let Philemon know that he would visit him soon, which meant that he would know whether or not Philemon had followed through. Another gospel principle is called accountability within the church. Instead of stopping at forgiveness, move beyond forgiveness and welcome that person all the way back into your life. Not holding them at arm's length because you're not sure you can trust them. I know some of you, like I said, will recoil at this thought, but what we are seeing right in front of our eyes is that instead of being guarded with the person who has wronged us, look for ways to deepen your trust in them, knowing full well that they will probably hurt you again, by the way, which is exactly what Jesus does with us every day. When's the last time you said, I'm sorry to Christ once? Never have you done that. You've come back to Christ repeatedly for the same sin, haven't you? As have I. And we are to forgive one another. Let me emphasize it again. Just as Christ has forgiven you. Repeatedly. Peter, thinking he was all holy. Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother who sins against me? Seven times. Seven times. What did Jesus say? Try 70 times seven. <laughs> Not seven. 70 times seven. Endlessly, in other words. Jesus forgives our sins knowing full well that he will forgive them again tomorrow. But forgiveness, friends, is there anything else that highlights the gospel more than forgiveness? Is there anything that can be more powerful in your witness to your family, your children, your friends, your co-workers than forgiveness? It's the heart of the gospel. This morning, we're going to ask you to examine your hearts. We're going to ask you to consider your relationships with people in this church and outside of this church. And certainly in a crowd this size, there will be some who have uh, unfinished business of forgiveness with friends and family that needs to be taken care of right now, at least right now, in your heart and mind before Christ.
but we're going to serve you the Lord's Supper. And we're told by Paul to examine ourselves prior to the Lord's Supper. So I'm asking you to examine yourself right now prior to taking the Lord's Supper. Please don't come up here knowingly remaining in sinful resistance to the Holy Spirit and not forgiving someone. That's not okay. So is there anyone you need to forgive? Is there anyone you need to go to and ask for forgiveness? You may or may not be able to do that right before you walk up here. If they're in the room, I hope you do. But then walk up here and receive from God the blessing of obedience. Friends, the Lord's Supper is intended by God to bless you, to strengthen you, to encourage you. But please don't come up here ignoring sin. That's a way to callous your heart. And none of us want that. So I want to encourage you, maybe challenge you. You're a person that needs challenge. Exercise forgiveness. Grant it. Seek it before you come, and then come and receive God's blessing. I'm going to read the words from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11. As I read those, I'm going to um, pray over them, and then we're going to read the Lord's uh, Apostles' Creed here during, underneath the Lord's Supper section of your bulletin. I think it'll be on the overhead also. But the Apostles' Creed just identifies that unity, that bond we have in Christ. And that bond, that unity we have in Christ is based on forgiveness, him of our sins and ours for each other's sins. So let me read these words from Paul, and then we'll, I'll pray and I'll ask you to stand and read these words of the Apostles' Creed. During that time, the elders who are present can come. And we will serve you as you walk down this aisle to receive God's blessing. Listen to these words from 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You proclaim the Lord's forgiveness until he comes. That's what his death accomplished, wasn't it? Your forgiveness. So you want to, this is why it's important that you deal with forgiveness. This is about forgiveness. (laughs) Pray with me. Oh, Father, don't allow us to play games anymore. Please, please penetrate our hearts as hard as they might be. Grant us repentance from protecting our position or even our, our own comfort. I ask that you would do a work in us as a church that we would be a forgiving people, that we would look for opportunities to forgive and extend love beyond 
what is expected, that we would do um, the obedient thing and not protect our rights. Lord, help us to respond as Philemon did to Paul. We know this letter was written for us, not just Philemon. Father, we thank you for the restoration that is demonstrated, that's illustrated in the elements of this broken bread and cup of juice. These things represent the work you've done on our behalf so that forgiveness would flow free and full in our direction. Bless us now as we come to the table. In your name, amen.